of this series last week, we began talking about what it means to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And this morning we're going to continue. Last week we talked about grace and truth. And this morning we're going to talk about the insanity of self. The insanity of self is the, is the subtitle for the message today. And at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, we learned last week that Daniel and his friends are confronted with decisions about what they're going to make and the culture that they are around. And they stand firm in, and influence their culture from the very beginning. And we have a choice when we look at the culture that's around us. And I want to start with this thought this morning, and that is this. We're either going to set the culture or we are going to reflect the culture. You're either going to be a thermostat that sets the culture around you or you're going to be a thermometer that simply goes up and down and up and down depending upon what environment you may be in. I've told my kids for years these words, and some of you parents have told your children this, be a leader, not a follower. And God calls us as believers in our faith, in the way we stand for Him, to be leaders and not followers. We're called to set the culture, not reflect the culture. Jesus said it like this. He said, let your light shine before others that they may say your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying when your light shines, it's going to turn the attention back to me. We're called to be salt, to make things better. We're called to be light, to make things brighter. And we are not to retreat out of culture, but we are to have an impact on it. The night that Jesus went to the cross, the night before he went to the cross, in John chapter 17, he's praying a prayer and we get a glimpse into the heart and passion of Jesus that night when he prays these words. He says, my prayer, Father, and he's praying for us, and he's praying for his disciples, is not that you take them out of the world. Now, a lot of us, if we could hit a heaven button right now, and sometimes when we're having a bad day, we'd hit, how many people would hit the heaven button? Y'all remember the Staples Easy button in that commercial? If you had a heaven button, sometimes you just hit that and go on to glory. And, and Jesus, that's not his prayer for us. His prayer for us isn't that we be taken out of the world, but his prayer is that God would protect us from the evil one. And he says, they're not of the world just like I am not of the world. Jesus is saying, okay, we've all got to live in the world, right? But we don't have to be of the world. We're not supposed to be insulated from culture we don't need to have this mentality we just build a fort around ourselves. And, and some Christians have that viewpoint. Let's just all get in church and let's get tight and let's have all our Christian things and let's just hang on till Jesus comes or hang on until we die. But that's not what the Word of God tells us to do. We are called to be salt and light and to influence the culture. And so the challenge for us is how do I stand firm in a culture and not become a part of it. And how can I influence the culture? How many of you here today would just say, Pastor, I don't want to just survive culture. I want to influence culture for Jesus. Can I get a big amen this morning? Amen. All right, I love that. That's good stuff. So this morning we're going to talk about the single culprit 
of what drives an ungodly culture, of what, what drives every sin, and it's rooted in the Babylon mentality is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, now Babylon is a place. It's a place where all of these stories take place in the book of Daniel. Today, that dirt that was Babylon back then is Iraq today. But I want to tell you that Babylon is not just a, a, lo a locality. Babylon is a mentality. It's not just a place, but it's a, part, a, a method of thinking. And we need to see it and understand it and recognize because once we know how Satan operates and how the Babylon mentality works, then we can come against it as we stand in the culture and try to make a difference. So I want to show you this, that from the very beginning of your Bible, Satan was out there saying the same thing that he said from cover to cover. And at the very beginning, the first words out of his mouth, and in Genesis chapter 3, is he is trying to question God and get us to elevate ourselves. Look at this. Satan's lie is always this, okay? I'm all about you. If you'll follow me, I'll give you what you want. You need to have this. You need to do that. You deserve this. You need to be able to participate in that. And God, God's all about himself. God's all about what will make him important and what will make him good. And he's just trying to hold anything that's good away from you. If you will trust me and, and you'll follow me and you'll follow the things that are out there that I'll have for you, I'll give you everything you want. And, and it's the same lie throughout all Scripture. That's in Genesis chapter 3. If you turn over a few chapters later to Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, we meet this group of people. And they're moving east, the scripture says, and they decide that they're going to build this city. And look at this scripture. It says that they decide, they say, come, let us build ourselves. Everybody say ourselves. Let's build us a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. And there is in the scripture is the reason why they wanted to build that city. Look at it. So we can make a name for ourselves. There's a lot of self in that scripture, isn't it? Those people said, you know what, we're, we're going to build a city, we're going to build this tower, so everybody will come and see and look at us. And God looks down and sees and says, uh-uh, I'm not going to allow you to build something that's so big that nobody sees me anymore. And so God confuses the languages, and in Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, it said that that place and the tower, we know it as the Tower of Babel, which is where we get the word Babylon. And the word Babel means confused and confusion because that's where the Lord uh, confused all the languages of the earth. And as the, scripture say, he's, uh, as the scripture says, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, Satan works this way. He's sitting at the poker table. He's betting all his chips to the middle that if he can get you to look out for you and your self-interest, then he's got you. And see, Babylon, when we take on that mentality, there's something that's going to happen. It's going to be what the word means. There's going to be confusion. It's a deranged way of thinking. It's a way that leads to chaos other than order. And I want to submit to you this morning that any time you live outside of the will of God for your life, you will live in chaos. The reason why our country is in the shape that it's in. And the reason why we see culture in, 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 in such an insane place right now is because millions of people are living outside of the will of God. 
Make no mistake about it. It all goes back to this book. We have confusion in our country because of that. Just a few weeks ago, we remembered the one-year anniversary of a mad gunman who for no reason takes a gun out in Las Vegas and shoots dozens of people at a country music concert. I heard an update on that story a couple of weeks ago, and they said we still don't have a motive of why that shooting took place. That's the reason, the reason why is because we live in a culture of chaos. If he had a motive, it wouldn't make sense, right? Without a motive, it, it doesn't make sense because we live with that Babylon mentality day. So here, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're here this morning, you've got chaos in your soul chaos in your home, chaos in your life in any way today, it could be that you have bought into the Babylon mentality. And that Babylon mentality, as we said, it goes from cover to cover. If you go to the very end of your Bible in, in Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18, John the Revelator talks about Babylon and Babylon the Great and how it will one day fall. And in this verse, and in chapter 17, verse 5, he gives this description. It says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. And what he's saying here is that everything that happens in the earth that is ungodly and, and not the will and the way of God comes from one place. It's that spirit and mentality of Babylon. Go to the middle of your Bible, to Isaiah chapter 47, and you hear the prophet Isaiah saying these words. Look at this. He says, now listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security, and I'll add there your self-security, and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. I'll never be a widow. I'll never suffer any loss. But the prophet says, but at that moment, these things will overtake you. And in a single day, you could lose everything. And he comes back at the end of the verse and says, You've trusted in your wickedness and you've said no one sees me. And, and wow, this verse really jumps out at me. The third line, look at that. He says, Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you. We live in a culture today where we have knowledge and wisdom that leads us to a place away from what this book says. And your own wisdom and your own knowledge will lead you to a place where you say, I am. And there is none besides me. I am. And there is none besides me. Click. Look familiar? Sound familiar? That's Babylon's motto, motto right there. I am, and there's none besides me. And the biggest trick of the devil is to get you so self-focused that, listen to this, to get you to think that you are smarter than God, that you know more than God, that you would judge the world differently than God, that you would even love people better than God. And here's what Babylon's motto will do. It will elevate self that's where we get this whole thing about the selfie. Self-adoring. I had somebody tell me a few weeks ago that they have a member of their family who spends an unbelievable amount of time just trying to get their picture right for that selfie. We live in a self-adoring society. There's nobody in this picture 
but me. Mighty quiet this morning. Self-building. I don't need God. Self-adoring. Self-building says I can do it without God. And I'll let you know when I need you, God. But God, I'm going to leave you tucked in over here on Sunday. And when I need you, I'll come and get you. But you kind of stay out of the rest of my life. And when I have an emergency, I'm going to call 911. And I'll need you when I need you, Lord. But I'm going to kind of build myself. Then there's the side side of self-indulging. I can do what I want if it feels good. Self-indulging mentality is a narcissistic, humanistic, hedonistic type of feeling. And we would say, well, no God, no loving God would tell me to leave something behind that feels so good to me. How dare He call that sin? And it's not just... When we, listen to this, when we elevate ourselves, it's not just that we're elevating ourselves from the bottom shelf of our life and we put ourselves on the top shelf. What we're also doing, listen, we're taking God off the top shelf and we're moving Him down to lower places in our lives because elevating self always lowers God. And our culture tries to really even mock God with this, I am and there's no one else but me. Think about that, that mentality. Because that actually is the words of Almighty God. That the enemy is not even creative enough to come up with his own schemes. He takes the word that God said about himself in Exodus when he said, I am that I am. Look how the enemy works. The enemy will take the words of God, put them in your spirit and in your mouth, and have you saying, I am. And there is no one else besides me. And, and the enemy will, will say these things. See, see if you've ever heard the enemy say this to you. God doesn't love me. Because if he really loved me, he'd let me be who I am. What kind of loving God would call me out of something that I feel in my heart? We've been talking about truth a lot the last few weeks, but the truth is that the greatest expression of love is a God who lavishly forgives while calling you out of your sin and yet promising you a better life. God doesn't love me. God isn't for me. He's mean. He's old-fashioned. All this Bible stuff, it might have worked for grandma and grandpa way back then, but it's really not relevant to today. And that's a lie of the enemy. Because we'll say, well, again, it's all about what I want. And if I was in charge, I would run society and and, and run the sins in the Bible a little bit different than God would. I told you this last week, and I want to repeat it again. Everything in this book is not good for God. It's good for you. It wasn't put here for him, it's put here for you. And if on and today, at this moment in time, at four minutes to twelve on October the twenty-first, if the whole nation of the United States right now said, We're all going to start following this book immediately, what did I tell you last week would happen? I said if immediately families would come together, there'd be no divorce, there'd be no remarriage, there would be no broken homes. Alcohol, drug abuse, pornography would be gone. We'd have honesty in our political system. The world would turn upside down if we just followed the Word because the Word isn't good for God, it's good for us. I need a whole lot more amens than that. Thank you, brother. Y'all are getting there this morning. And 
God's, might, we might say God. He wants too much from me. He asks too much. You know, only a loving God can do what Jesus did last week, what we talked about at the end of the message, and that's look at a woman caught in adultery. And at the same time, look at her and say, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is the voice of a loving God. But this that we're talking about, this is the Babylon mentality. And it's rooted in a story in your Bible in Daniel chapter 4. Now we'll come back to Daniel chapter 3 when we continue this series here in a few weeks. But in Daniel chapter 4, we, we turn open to the last story we get about King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the beginning of Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar is talking about himself. And look at this. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home and in my palace. And look what he says. He says, I was contented and prosperous. I had it going on. Everything was just right. I had it like I liked it. it. Everything was great. And it says, as you, and I'll just summate, give you a summation of the story, that one night he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was known to have some crazy dreams. Read uh, Daniel chapter 2, but in chapter 4, he has this dream and he wakes up and he's, he's calling for the astrologers and the magicians to come in. Guys, I want you to tell me what my dream means and nobody can tell him. And somebody says, uh, dude, did you forget about Daniel, that Hebrew kid? Remember him? He did it for you a while back. Why don't you call him in? So Daniel comes in and he, he shares the dream to Daniel and he presents this to him. And, and this is what he says he's did. Daniel, I had this dream of this huge tree that reached all the way to the heavens. It was a beautiful tree. It was, it was full of leaves. And it was full of fruit. And the fruit could, could feed everybody in the world. And it was such a luscious, beautiful tree that beasts of the field and animals came and lived under the tree. And, and Daniel, in my dream, the birds of the air came and they lived in the tree. But as I was looking at that tree in my dream, I saw a messenger from heaven who came down and he spoke and he cut the tree down. And the only thing that was left was the stump. And in my dream, there was, there was something about somebody who was, who was moved away and they lost their mind and they lived like an animal. And he begins to describe this whole thing to, to him and, and he, he tells him his dream and he's like, Daniel, what do you think? And the scripture tells us that when Daniel first heard what he was saying and, and describing the dream, the scripture says Daniel was frightened. And I believe what happened was that as he was telling the dream, the Holy Spirit was giving Daniel the meaning of the dream. And every point he made, the tree, that's you. And everything he shared in the dream, the Holy Spirit was saying, Daniel, this is what this means. That's what that means. And Daniel is presented with a new dilemma. What is he going to do? Maybe you've never thought about this side of it, but Daniel had a choice to make whether or not he was going to tell the king the truth about his dream. And Daniel thinks about it and says, what am I going to do? And he finally looks at him and look at this verse in Daniel chapter 4 verse 22. And I want you to see those first two words. They're so important when we talk about how do we deal with a culture that's away from God. Because how does he respond to the king? He responds to him with respect. He's a man away from God. He is about to prophesy something that he is not going to like. But he speaks to him with respect. And he says, your majesty. 
You are that tree. You've become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And he begins to describe for him the details of all of it. And when he gets to the end, he says, King, I'm sorry to tell you, but a point in time is going to come where you're going to be driven away from the people and you're going to live with wild animals and you're going to eat grass like a cow and, 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 and you're going to be outside so much that the dew of heaven is going to wet the, your back and it's going to be strange and, 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 and you're going to stay in that place, King, for seven years until you acknowledge that the Most High is King over all the kingdoms. And, and, and I want you to notice something here. I, I didn't put it on the screen. But at the end of that verse, when he's talking to the king, he tells the king, he looks at him, knowing his life may be on the line. And he says, King, I would to God that you would turn from your sin. That you would declare that God is the only God, the Most High God. That you would take care of the, of the poor and be merciful to people in your kingdom. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who would say to us as the church that it is wrong for us to ever call sin, sin, because it's judgmental. But Daniel looked at the king, a king who could have taken his head, and in that moment, in a respectful way, said, King, if you would, please turn from your sin. But the king didn't. He dismissed Daniel. Things went on like normal. And we find the king one year later walking on top of his kingdom. Walking on top of his house. It said he was on the flat roof of his house one day and he was looking out over his kingdom and he got to really feeling, feeling good about himself. And he said, wow, what a kingdom I have built. Look at these amazing uh, gardens of Babylon. One day they'll be considered one of, the, one of the seven wonders of the world. Look at all that I've done. Look at all these people who are here to serve me. Look at these beautiful buildings. and Look at all that I have in my kingdom. And the scripture says that as he did that one year from the prophecy, that within one hour, it says he was driven from society. I don't know how that happened, but it, it would be something that would be amazing if it could be put in a movie. It would probably be something like, like on the sci-fi network or something. Because here's this king cocky, bragging, talking about himself, and all of a sudden within an hour, he is in a field, and he's with the animals, and he's eating grass. And the scripture says that for seven years, he went from sitting on the throne to being out in, in a field and losing his mind literally his hair grow, grew so long that it looked like the feathers of an eagle and his fingernails grew so long that they looked like the talons of, of a bird he literally became a wild beast and lost his mind he became insane and this morning I want to say to you listen very carefully if you're falling asleep sit up and listen This is what happens when we focus on ourselves. We will lose our minds. We will lose our mentality. We will lose how we can function. And, and, and I want you to think about something with me for a second, okay? And, and, and try not to think about this through the political lens of things, okay? I need you to be quiet. Don't think about this through the political lens of things. I want you to do what we used to talk about when I was a kid. Put your thinking cap on. And I want you to put your common sense glasses on. Does anybody have any of those anymore? 
I know common sense is a superpower today. I don't know how many of you have it. But we're, we're about to see. Common sense is a superpower. I want your thinking cap on and your glasses on. And I'm about to take you with a walk to realize that as the United States of America, we are out in the field like Nebuchadnezzar and we have lost our minds. Now follow me. Think about this. We have a voice in our country that says, love wins, everybody's supposed to receive love, everybody's supposed to be welcomed in, unless you disagree with me. And that same voice now is inciting violence against those who don't believe what they believe. We have a voice that says, I talked about this last week, that there's not supposed to be any gender anymore, that we can have male and female, and now we can have an X. And the same voice that says, let's, let, let's let people figure out their own sexuality will be the same voice who will go to Washington and march in a women's march. We have a city called Hollywood that creates, promotes, and profits from the pornography industry, yet loudly screams, me too. And we have a person from the pornography industry trying to preach to us about morality. We have saved the whales and saved the eagles and save the seals. But since 1970 we have aborted between 45 and 54 million children in this country. And we say they're not alive. We say that they're just a fetus. But I want to quote Dr. Ben Carson. What he said a couple of days ago. Dr. Carson said, if it's not a human being, then why are you harvesting organs from it? We have lost our minds in this country. We are living in a place of insanity. Up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. And you know what happens? You know how we get here? We got here because millions of people have walked away from the Word and they have lost their minds. And we want to say, well, why? how are we here and how does this happen? It happens when after year, after year, after year, we walk away from what God's laws and rules are and the dominoes keep falling in ways like we've never seen before and God is leaving us as a country as animals out in the field like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar to our own animalistic behaviors and thoughts and when we leave God behind he leaves us to our human nature he'll let us stay out there Go to Romans chapter 1. It is like a playbook of what's going on in our country right now. Go read it sometime. It will blow your socks off at what's going on in our world right now. But I want to tell you something. There is hope. Because here's what happened in this story. I'm not mad this morning. I know y'all are looking at me like, man, who made him so mad? I'm not mad. If I'm mad at anything, I'm mad at us for buying into all the garbage that we have in, in our uh, culture. We've got to wake up, church. We, we've got to wake up. And it doesn't mean that we wake up, that we start pointing to everybody. We've got to wake up and do it the way Jesus did, like we talked about last week, with grace and truth, and realize that there's always hope. Because here's what happened, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, in his dream, the tree was not down, but they left a stump. 
And you know what that is? That's symbolic of the mercy and the grace of God. Because God will always leave a stump. For, for many of you today, God could have gone out in your life. He could have dug up the stump and the roots and left you a long time ago. But God left a stump so that one day you might could get back to your senses and come back to Him. God always leaves a stump. <clears throat> and I want to say this morning that some of you here today, you're about down to a stump. And your life is a mess. And your life is characterized by the Babylon mentality because you have lived for yourself. But God always leaves a stump. And Nebuchadnezzar is out there. He's on the ground and he's eating grass like a cow. And after seven years, his hair looks like the, the, the feathers of an eagle and his, he's got these claws and he is not even a human being anymore. But look at this verse of Scripture. It says, After that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven and look what it said. My sanity was restored. And look at what it says. He said, Then I praised the Most High. I had put Him on the bottom shelf, but I put Him back on the top shelf. I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. I used to say my dominion was eternal, but I'm going to say His dominion is an eternal dominion. I used to say, look at me. I am that I am, and my kingdom will endure. But no, His kingdom will endure from generation to generation. And He says all the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what He pleases with the powers of heaven. And the people of earth and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time that my sanity was restored, that word restoration is huge for somebody this morning whose life is a stump. I've come by to tell you today that it can be restored to you. Because look, it says my sanity was restored. I got my mind back and my honor and my splendor and the people who worked in my kingdom came back around me and it says that I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And some of you this morning, you think, man, I've gone too far. I made too many mistakes. There's too much junk in my past. God can't forgive me. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what your stump looks like. He can restore you to greater than you've ever been before. Somebody give God praise for that this morning. <clears throat> when God humbles us, He doesn't just leave us down. He will restore us and bless us with it even more. But what we've got to do, we've got to do what Nebuchadnezzar did. The first thing Nebuchadnezzar did was he said, I will exalt God. I'll make God number one. I will exalt God. Not just on Sunday. Not just in my heart, because you know I got him in my heart and my faith is kind of private. You know, don't ask me about my faith. No, I will exalt God. I will lift him up. Nebuchadnezzar was given over to insanity because he chose to exalt himself above everything else and he left God outside the door even after God had done amazing things in his kingdom. And I love what David says in Psalms 145. He said, I will exalt you, my God, the King. And he says 
in His words and with His life. Look at those words. We, we read that and it's like, oh, that's the Bible. That's what we hear over and over. But let's think about what He's saying. I'll exalt you and I'll put you, God, on the top shelf of my life. You are God and you are king. Nobody else is God. I'm not God. I'm not king. I'm not calling the shots. I'm not in charge. You are God and you are king. And I will praise your name forever and ever. You know what? I'm glad that we're a church that's loving our city. I'm glad that we can check off some boxes and see that we're doing a great thing in our community like never before. And we're going to keep doing that. But I want to tell you, we also need to be known as a church that will exalt and praise God. That when people walk in those doors, they hear a praise and a shout of victory like they haven't heard all week from people who love God and that experienced His grace. Will you give Him praise this morning? I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge that God's Word is true. Listen to this. And no matter what culture says, and no matter what laws are passed, and no matter what somebody says that I can't say or preach, I will acknowledge that God's Word is true. Amen? I said this last week. I said truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth and grace together is good medicine. It's the Word of God and it'll work in every situation. We need to acknowledge that God's Word is true. We need to acknowledge that God's hand is on our lives. I acknowledge right now the only reason why I'm here right now is because God put me here at this place. I didn't have anything to do with it. I tried to leave this place and He brought me back. Y'all know I'm just kidding. I wanted to come back. But God's hand is on my life and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge today, I'll acknowledge God in my giving. Well, you've yelled and screamed and lost your mind this morning and now you're going to talk about giving. I sure am. Because I want you to think about something. That is one of the biggest ways that we can acknowledge that everything we have is from God. When we say, God, I trust you. See, y'all, God made it real simple. He didn't ask for 50 or 75 or 40 or 30. He asked for 10. But here's the thing. The tithe is the Lord's. Tithe is 10%. The tithe is the Lord's, but the rest of it is too. All of it is the Lord's. And whenever I give my tithe, I am acknowledging. I'm saying, God, I acknowledge that you have blessed me. And I am acknowledging that you, by giving back to you. And I acknowledge that it, it may, some of you think, there's no way I can do that. You haven't seen my checking account. Because if I give 10%, then I can't pay this or that. When you acknowledge God and you put God from the bottom shelf to the top, and some of you got Him in the middle shelf, you need to get Him on the top shelf. When you get God on the top shelf, oh my goodness, the Lord just spoke it in my spirit. When you acknowledge Him, He will acknowledge you. And I, we could start a line right here and I could have person after person after person, men and women, come up here and tell you how when they've tithed, God has been faithful to them. When you acknowledge God and you're giving, God will bless you. We need to acknowledge. It's not getting any better, y'all. I'm sorry. We need to acknowledge that coming to the house of God is important. We need to acknowledge. Some of y'all are saying, my gosh, you talk about that all the time. It's because it's important. 
When I'm here, I am saying, God, it is important that I come to the house of God. It is a big deal. Leave that right there. I need to acknowledge God. And I don't know who needs this. I don't know who needs this this morning. But I feel this as much as I feel anything today that I'm preaching. And the Lord gave this to me on Friday as I was preparing. We need to acknowledge God when we don't have the answers. When there are tough questions, we need to acknowledge God. In death, we need to acknowledge God. When somebody's going through a cancer and a sickness and something we can't explain, we need to acknowledge God. When I'm discouraged and I can't figure it out, which if you're like me, that's a lot of the time, I need to acknowledge God. See, God doesn't ask us to try to understand His ways. He knows we can't, and so He doesn't expect us to try. He just wants us to obey Him and to trust Him. And I want you to hear this this morning. It is actually very liberating to trust in something that you don't have to understand. That went over some of y'all's heads. You need to take that and put it in your pocketbook and your wallet and chew on it all week. It is very liberating to trust in something that you don't understand. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon His promise. Just to know Thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I've trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Renee, if you'll come and begin to play, we've just said I need to exalt God, I need to... Acknowledge God. And here's the last thing. I will humble myself. If you're taking notes and you write that out, I will humble myself. I want you to circle myself. We said I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. I will humble myself. Because here's something that we all need to hear today. Humility is coming. Humility is coming. And either you can initiate it, or life will initiate it, or culture will initiate it, or the devil will initiate it, or as in Nebuchadnezzar's story, God initiated it. But humility is coming. And I, with every part of my heart, want for me and for you to humble ourselves on this side of eternity. It's what it's all about. Saying, I put self on the shelf. I put God at the top. And in all things, mm, thank you, Lord. 
Scripture says, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Listen to me, students, young adults. If there's any Scripture you need to hear and tattoo in your spirit today, it's this one. Acknowledge Him. Put Him first. He will direct your paths. Everywhere He wants you to go as you follow Him, He'll take you right where He wants you to go. That means for your job, your career. That means for the person that He has picked out for you to marry. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. James 4 verse 10 said this. Look at this. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He, He will lift you up. Anybody else just kind of nod at me and say, Pastor, that's, that's the way I want to be humbled. I, I want to humble myself before the Lord. I want Him to be the one who lifts me up. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself Less. The thing about that verse is when we humble ourselves, God never leaves us down. He will always lift us up. And there was that moment for Nebuchadnezzar trapped in the insanity of self. And I love that verse when he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I the man, when I turn my head toward heaven, I acknowledge God. My sanity was restored. And I just feel in my spirit today, I've felt it the last few days. And that's, I guess that's why I've, I've just been so passionate this morning. Is that there's, there's people in this room today and people who are watching on live stream or are you going to listen to these words later this week. You're living in a place of less than the best. And your world really is, is, is insane because you are so focused on yourself and your heart and your life is so full of chaos and you identify with what we're talking about because you're, you just feel like on the outside I'll tell you you know a good way to identify it is like this when we're standing here on Sunday mornings and the room is alive with worship and you just don't sense or feel anything I'm talking to you you can walk into this place like the person right there and right there and right there and right there and sense and know what brings them joy and what brings them life and what brings them excitement but the enemy wants to keep you outside focused on self and you will lose your mind and you will use every screen that you can hit with pornography you will use every drink you can get from a bottle and every extra pill you can get from the doctor. And everything that you possibly, more time on the job, maybe it's you just buy a bigger boat and a bigger car and whatever. But everything that you can that keeps you in this spiral of insanity. We were made for there to be only one thing that satisfies the hole that's empty inside of us 
There's a hole in all of us, and it is a God-shaped hole. And only God can fill the hole. You may walk out of here today and, and, and say, I, I almost got close, and you're out. Don't go back to living insane. If you do, the, the grace of God is so great that He's leaving that stump there. But why in the world would you, would you go live in insanity even more days when you can live knowing in the fullness? Jesus said, I came that they would have life to the fullest. Amen? Who, who's here today and says, Pastor, it's me. Man, I'm, you, are, you are talking to me today. My life is insane. It is messed up. I, there's parts of me that I, I'm just trying to get all, I'm trying to get fulfilled on my own. You're talking to me today. Who, who would say that today? Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, thank you. I'm not even going to go heads bowed, eyes closed. If, you're, if, you, if, if you really want to get free from insanity today. Anybody serious about tired of just living out there and doing it on your own? There's freedom today for you. There's a new life for you today. God brought us to this moment so that something fresh and new could happen in your life. Anybody else today? Anybody else today say, I need to make a change. Something's got to change. It's just not working. My way is not working. Anybody else? My way's not working. Give me that last screen, please. Standing strong in a self-centered culture begins face down. God, we humble ourselves today before you. Lord, everything around us shouts at us and screams at us to put ourselves number one. To put ourselves at the center of everything that we do. But today your word has reminded us, Lord, that we need to acknowledge you and put you first. And I'm looking at people today who are nodding at me and raising their hands, who are living in a place of insanity. And Lord, where their lives, they, they can tell that their lives are chaos. And they, they know that today is a day that they need to make a change. And, and Lord, I, I know that right now in this moment that you want to do that. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would rush in and allow your word to come alive in people's hearts tonight. And begin to draw them in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, I ask you today to draw and bring somebody out of insanity today. To bring clarity to their minds and their hearts and their thinking. To their home life or their job life or, or an addiction or a problem that they have. Bring sanity today in the name of Jesus. As we stand right now all over this place, if you would like prayer today for any area in your life where you would say, there's something in my life today that, that it, I, I just, you're talking to me today and I need prayer. I, that's a very general 
That's a very general appeal this morning, but that's the appeal. Pastor, you're talking to me today, and I need prayer. I want you to come right now. I want to pray with you. Anybody, anybody today would be bold enough to say, I need prayer today. I need prayer today. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anybody else? I don't want to walk out in the same way that I've been. Today, I want to make a change. I want something to be different when I leave today because I've just I've been doing this on my own and I and I gotta do something different. I gotta do something different. There's gotta be a change. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need I need prayer. Folks, I need staff. I need folks to come and help me stand behind these today as we pray. Anybody else who would say, I, I got to do something different today. I got to do something different in my life today. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We sang a lyric a while ago. Those of you who are down here, we sang a lyric a while ago in that last song. That says, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. And some of you are here today and in your life, just parts of your life, maybe it's not all of it, but parts of your life, there, there's defeat and there's just stuff there. And, and right now as we pray, we're just going to believe together that God's going to bring life into those situations. Will y'all pray with me today out there? There's folks here today, this is a big moment for them. Will you just raise your hand and, and point it this way? And anybody else who wants to come and pray with these today, you're welcome to come. I want us to come and lift up brothers and sisters who need the, who need God to touch them today and, and, and trust if you guys will come and sing something I would appreciate that let's pray together this morning shines for all to see. 